question for you. I have a question for you. I just want to do a little survey. Uh, thank you for driving through the snow to be here today. And I wonder, we've had a lot of snow, we've had a lot of rain so far, kind of almost in equal measures. And I want to find out which you prefer. So if you prefer snow, I want to hear you shout out. If you prefer rain, I want to hear you shout out. Okay, here we go. Who prefers snow? <laughs> Who prefers rain? <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I, I'm not sure exactly where that came out. But I, uh, I tell you what, I, I never knew that Moncton would get so much rain throughout the winter. And I, I was under the impression that this was the great white north, not the great wet north. Uh, but we are so glad to be here anyway. Another question for you. How many of you are ready to study God's Word today? Oh, we're going to have a good time today. Go ahead and grab a Bible and find 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I'll give you a few moments to find that. We are in this series called The Secret to Lasting Change. The first three weeks really built each one upon the other. And last week we came down deep to the surface, beneath the surface, to see the foundation needs to be love. That love changes everything. That is the secret. Now, over this Sunday and next Sunday, we're going to look at a few of the specific elements, though, that contribute to positive change in our lives. And uh, I admitted over the last few weeks that one of the areas that God like, tries to change me on is impatience. And uh, we had a whole you know, support meeting after service two weeks ago, I think. And, and uh, thank you for all of you who are patient with me. And so we're learning. But uh, I, I came across an interesting expression. Before you criticize someone, you know, it comes to being patient. Before you criticize someone, you need to walk a mile in their shoes. That's good advice, isn't it? Because that way, when you criticize them, you're a mile away and you have their shoes. <laughs> uh, you didn't see that one coming, did you? Uh, one more. My, my dad has false teeth, uh, which has nothing to do with anything. But, uh, but my, my father has false teeth, and he does this thing like where he'll pop them out with little kids, and he'll be talking to a little child, and all of a sudden he'll go, and like the teeth come out, and ah, it's the greatest thing ever. And, uh, and so uh, it's almost worth not brushing your teeth just to be able to have that as the end result so you can play with them. But uh, you know how some people put them in a jar by the bedside overnight to soak in, in water or solution or whatever? And a little granddaughter came in, and she saw her grandfather's teeth, uh, teeth floating in the jar. And she said, oh, my, the tooth fairy is never going to believe this. And... Uh, and see, so often, the challenges that we face are shaped by our perspective, how we look at things. And so today, we're going to talk about attitude. One of the most important elements to lasting change is our perspective, how we can, two people can look at the exact same situation, and one sees the positive, and one focuses on the negative. Have you found 1 Thessalonians? We're in chapter 5, beginning in verse 16 through verse 22. Let's read this out loud together. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Let's read this out loud together. It says, Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good. 
avoid every kind of evil. And there is so much content in this that if you just look at it phrase by phrase, line by line, that first of all it says, be joyful always. That it almost sounds like a command, which makes, makes us think that maybe it is possible there are times in our life when joy has to do with the choices that we make. That maybe there are some things that we do that contribute to joy and other things that sap our joy. And one of the things that contributes to joy is to pray continually. To pray continually. In everything we do, do it with prayer and thanksgiving, Scripture says. That prayer is not just talking to God, it's a dialogue with God. So often I think we do our little five minutes of prayer and then we get up and we go through the rest of our day. And as we walk away, God is standing there like, uh, uh, I had something to say back to you, but you didn't take time to listen. And that so often when we listen to God in times of prayer, when we invite him to speak to us, that when he does so, he, he speaks into our lives in a way that, that corrects us and challenges our thinking and sometimes gets our attitude back on track. And then it says, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. That God's will for you is to have an attitude of gratitude in everything that we do to give thanks. I may look at my life and look at all the tough things that I deal with and the problems that I have and sometimes forget two things. Number one, that God has a purpose for my problems. Everybody say, God has a purpose. God has a purpose for my problems. There may be things that God is going to do through this situation that I do not yet see or understand. And number two, that no matter what I'm going through, sometimes it gives me perspective and helps my attitude when I realize that there are a lot of people who are going through things a lot worse than what I'm going through right now. When I was growing up, uh, I, I was a church kid growing up, and uh, and one of the songs that I remember from my childhood was "Count Your Blessings, Name Them One by One." Have you ever heard that song? Any of you? Count your blessings, see what God has done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. And I wonder sometimes if we would sleep better at night if instead of counting sheep we counted blessings. Amen. Imagine how that changes our perspective on life. Then it says, do not put out the Spirit's fire. What is the Spirit's fire? Well, in our culture, there are all kinds of things that we get fired up about. What are some of the things that people get fired up about in our culture? What? Super Bowl, Super Bowl sports, what else? Politics. Oh, man, now you're meddling. Oh, my goodness. What else? About celebrities, about hockey, all kinds of... We get worked up about all kinds of things. But so often, the things that we list, the things that we get fired up about in our culture are temporary things that are here today and gone tomorrow. But when we celebrate the things of God, those last 
forever. In fact, I, I, I've been thinking about that recently. What if we were to worship God with the same passion that we celebrate sports? Just, just think about that for a minute. Uh, during the NHL playoffs, I found it interesting. They were talking about the national anthem as people were singing and cheering their teams. And the fans hit a volume level of over 120 decibels. Last week, we recorded the decibel readings during the service, and the volume never got over 92. I, I just find that interesting. Like, what if we were to get as excited about worshiping Jesus as we do about celebrating sports? And the roof would come off the place, wouldn't it? Then it says, do not treat prophecies with contempt. What are prophecies? They're, they're the things that God speaks into our future. In other words, look forward with anticipation for what God has in store for your future. Test everything and hold on to the good. Why do we have to test everything? Because frankly, not everything in this world is good that claims to be good. And so we need to learn to test and discern the difference between what the world says is good, but is often a lie that leads us away from God, and what is truly good, the things that bring us joy in our lives. And so as we do that, we are able to avoid every kind of evil. How do we avoid every kind of evil? By holding on to the good. See, here's the truth. The more you hold on to the good, the less room you have to hold on to the bad. Let, let me say that again. The more you choose to hold on to that which is good, the less capacity you have in your life to hold on to the things that are bad. And that makes all the difference. And so we've had an assignment uh, each of the weeks of the series. In the first week of the series, we looked at Psalm 1. Uh, actually it's Psalm 139, sorry, that's a typo from me. Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24, which says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me, anything that is not in alignment with your desire for my life, and lead me in the way everlasting. Now, some of us, followed out through on the commitment to say that prayer every single day the first week of the series. So some of you have it memorized, and I'd love for you to get a chance to sh show that to the world, okay? Let's, I, we're not going to put it on the screen. Let's see if you can remember to do it uh, by memory, okay? Here we go. Psalm 139, 23 and 24 says, here we go. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Do you like my little hand signals to help out? I was trying to help you there. That was good. Uh, so the next assignment was to read all the way through the book of James. All the way through the book of James. And I heard people say last week how impactful that was. I had somebody come up in the atrium to me after the service last Sunday and said, I had so much uh, so much growth and, and so much revelation that God gave to me reading through the book of James again for that assignment a week or two ago. 
Then number three, today's assignment is this, to go home and read 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 through 22, that passage that we just read together. To be joyful always, pray continually. To, there is so much content in that that if you'll take that home and spend some time chewing on and meditating upon the word of God this week in 1 Thessalonians, I think God will speak to all of us. Okay, will you do that? Will you do that? Okay, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna give you another opportunity to respond. Are you gonna do that? Okay, good stuff. Now today we're gonna talk about four questions about our attitude. We're going to try to answer the, uh, the question, what is it? Number two, what influences it? Number three, where do I get off track? And number four, how do I change for the better? And so here's the first question. What is your attitude? You know, your attitude is one of the single greatest determining factors between success and failure in your life. John Maxwell says, your attitude is the librarian of your past, the speaker of your present, and the prophet of your future. Isn't that powerful? Listen to that. Your attitude is the librarian of your past, the speaker of your present, and the prophet of your future. As a parent, it is easy to tell when a kid has a bad attitude, isn't it? Because as adults, we learn how to hide it. We learn how to pretend. Kids have not learned that skill yet. And so when they have an attitude, you know, they're all of a sudden, their face all wrinkles up, and the jaw sticks out, and the shoulders, like they put their whole body into it, right? And, uh, and my kids had this thing sometimes where when they were little, they would obey on the outside, but they were disobeying on the inside, right? And, and sometimes we do that with God. Sometimes we do the right things, maybe, but with the wrong attitude. That sometimes we're obeying God on the outside, but disobeying on the inside. Uh, as I've studied counseling and uh, worked with couples who are dating and after they get married, uh, I think there's probably one major difference that I see between premarital counseling and divorce counseling, because I've done plenty of both. And contrary to what most people think, I think the difference between premarital counseling and divorce counseling is often not what we think it is. That it's not necessarily about money, it's not necessarily about fighting or about sex or about work or about uh, the kids. Yes, all those things contribute to the stress in our lives, but that's not what makes the difference. I think so often the number one difference is our attitude about those problems. Because there's something that changes after marriage, I think, so often. That, that what happens is, afterwards, the same things that we used to find endearing, we now find enraging. Now we have these years of hurt feelings and and misunderstandings, and we used to think everything the person did was wonderful. Now they do the same things, but they rub us the wrong way. 
in a different way. And so, you know, sometimes when couples will come in for premarital counseling, they're standing outside in the office. They can't keep their hands off of each other. They're, they're holding hands like he is squeezing her hands so tight. It's like he's afraid she's going to run away if he lets go. And they'll come walking into the office and they sit down and they cannot get closer to each other on the couch. And you begin to ask them questions and and it doesn't matter what you say to them, it's going to go in one ear and out the other. Like as, as, as he begins to talk and they begin to talk at the same time and oops, I'm sorry, no, no, you go first. Oh no, honey, you go first. And as he talks, she sits there and just listens. His voice is so beautiful. Oh, I could just listen to that all day. And he says the same thing. Oh, her, her voice is like the sound of angels whispering upon the morning dew. And, and, and so, so as they talk, you, you start to, to, to tell them some of the problems they're going to face, and it goes in one ear, out the other, because the birds are singing. There are choirs in the rafters breaking forth into song. It's like moonbeams and sunlight is, is resting upon their brow. And, and you ask questions like, do you have a job? Nope, no job. <laughs> do you have a place to live? Well, Aunt Lulu's going to Florida for the winter. We're going to stay at her place. And it doesn't matter what problems they have. They are determined. They are going to live on love. No problem is too great. And you can show them personality charts about how they are so different. Like how they're even going to get along, you just don't even know. And you show them all their differences, and they say, you know, that's because opposites attract. That's why we get along so well. I'm like, you just wait. And, 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 then, and then, or maybe they're exactly the same. I mean, they have the exact same problem. They're so horrible at the same things. Neither of them can balance a checkbook. And they say, you know, that's why we get along so well. Because we just understand each other. And finally, they walk hand in hand into the parking lot. And he gently opens the door and helps her into her seat, gives her a little kiss on the cheek, closes the door, and they drive off into the sunset in marital bliss. Fast forward five years, the bliss has turned to blisters. <laughs> and now it's the same couple, same couple. But now they, they have a, a place to live, they have a mortgage, now they have jobs, now they have maybe a beautiful child, and they sit in that same office, and it's a totally different story. Before the wedding, they could only see the positive, but now they can only see the negative. Before, all those little quirks were so cute. Now, it drives them crazy. Before, their partner could do no wrong. Now, it doesn't matter what they do. It's never right. And what's the difference? The difference so often is attitude. Before, their attitude only focused on the positive, and they needed somebody to help remind them of the negatives. But now all they can see is the negative, and they need people to remind them that there are still some good things that are worth fighting for. There was an interesting article about the Olympics. Uh, anybody excited about the Olympics? It starts this week. I'm like, you know that this is the Winter Olympics. This is the one the Canadians are supposed to love, right? I, you, you have to understand, for the last 22 years, I, three years, I have lived outside of Canada. 
And so cheering for the Winter Olympics was always a solo thing for me. Uh, je suis seulement. And so, uh, and so now you cannot imagine how excited I am to be back in Canada for the Winter Olympics. So please, please don't leave me alone. <laughs> I, 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 st I still believe it's worth fighting for. Even if the professionals are not at the, in the hockey, uh, I know it's so sad. But they're still figure skating. <laughs> it's the same thing, right? Just different skates. That, that would be awesome, wouldn't it, if they did figure skating and hockey skates. I would love to see that. But one of, one of the things that they say with, I was reading about the Olympics, and uh, when it comes to figure skating, that so often the difference is not talent or even their execution. That so often the difference is their attitude. Because you watch two skaters can, can do an almost identical performance technically, but one finishes and they're like, yeah, I got this. And they just, they have a grace about them. They're confident. And the other it's graceful, but it's not passionate. That so often our attitude, the way that we carry ourselves, makes a big difference. Number two, what influences your attitude? The fact is where you were born and the family circumstances you were born into, the country and the place where you were born has a big influence in ways that are beyond your control. You did not get to choose your parents. You did not get to choose the home in which you were raised. You did not get to choose your community or, or your school or your teachers. And those circumstances that were given to you that were not your fault greatly impact the attitudes that you have and the ways that you think. But here's the key. Then we grow up. And we become responsible for our own choices. And we can continue in those bad patterns that were instilled in us growing up. Or we can decide to make changes as an adult. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 Verse 11 says, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. You see, as you grow up, you get to choose the influences in your life. And are you choosing to surround yourself with positive influences or with negative influences. Number three, where do we get off track? I think that's one of the ways that we get off track. You know, uh, there are uh, all kinds of circumstances, though, that mess us up. I was thinking about some of those days. You ever had just a really bad day? I mean, it started out good. The sun was shining. The birds were singing. I mean, it was a really, really good day until you got up. And, and you stubbed your toe on the nightstand, and then you went downstairs and burned your Pop-Tarts, and, 
And then you went back and, and got in the shower and there was no hot water. And then you take your cold shower and you put on your clothes and you go out and get in the car and the tire's flat and you have to, to change the flat tire and 30 minutes later you're all sweaty and you back down the driveway and run over the mailman. And then, and then it's not funny for the mailman. And then, and then you drop the mailman off at the emergency room and get to work finally. And, and about two o'clock in the afternoon, you're praying, Lord Jesus, if you would just come back soon, that would be wonderful. Like preferably by supper. That, that, that sometimes we wonder, where did I get off track here? Well, there are a couple of things that I, I think contribute to that. And this is not a complete list, but just a few ideas. I think one is the fear of failure. The fear of failure often puts us in a negative mindset. Sometimes we are so afraid of striking out that we don't even step up to the plate. Some people's motto is, if at first you don't succeed, hide all the evidence and never try again. <laughs> there was a, a guy who decided he wanted to be a conductor. He really wanted to be a conductor, and so uh, he, he was not a very good one because he would, sometimes he would get down low and almost you know, when he wanted the low passages and he was conducting and he'd get down and people wondered what was wrong. And then he would, he would, on the big passages, jump up and scream and holler at the orchestra, waving his arms, hollering at them for, to play louder. And, and other times, one time he was playing the piano uh, with the orchestra for a piece and jumped up, knocked over the candelabra, just about set the place on fire. Another time he uh, knocked over a choir boy. And, uh, sometimes when he was uh, conducting, he would lose his place in the music, forget where he was, cue people to come in at the wrong time, cause all kinds of confusion. The musicians told him to quit and go home. He was a horrible conductor. Do you know his name? Ludwig van Beethoven. See, he was an amazing composer, but he was a horrible conductor. And guess what? you're not going to be good at everything. Don't let that discourage you. Because sometimes failure is simply the path to figuring out what you are good at. And so then we get into seasons of discouragement. Discouragement, you know, really is the tool of Satan. Because Satan tries to convince you that things are never going to get better. And we begin to believe his lies rather than listening to the God who loves us, who holds our future in his hand. Number three, unconfessed sin. Sometimes our attitude is out of line because our behavior and our thoughts and our attitudes and our, our beliefs and our values if you don't know what I'm talking about when I do this, then you need to go back and watch on uh, the website, watch the videos from the last three weeks so that you can see what all this stuff is. But we saw that many times when what starts to come out of our life is, is negative and unhealthy, that it's because down at the foundation, we have some sin issues in our life. Number four, criticism from others. Let everybody get ready to raise your hand. How many of you have ever said anything to you that could come across as critical? I'm, I'm, I'm thinking there are like three people who are perfect who didn't raise their hand. I, I, no, I'm teasing. 
because everybody knows what it's like to live with criticism. And if, unless you are like superhuman, criticism hurts your feelings, doesn't it? Hurts my feelings. And so if we're not careful, we can allow that to get our attitude out of alignment. Uh, we have problems, uh, problems that get us out of line. Number six, change. Uh, sometimes change makes us feel insecure. Where we're, we're, you know, we're just like, change is hard, right? But without change, you die, right? The only way to survive in this world is to continue to change and adapt. And then the last one that we're just going to talk about for a minute is that negative environment. A negative environment. Here's a principle to remember. You begin to become who you hang around most. Listen to me. This is true for young people and it's true for older folks. All through our lives, we begin to become like the people we hang around most. And you get to choose those influences. And so we need to always be evaluating in our lives, not that we shouldn't be around people who need our help. How can we be Jesus to people? How can we share the light of Christ with people who are in desperate need of Jesus, who are lost, if we don't spend time with them. So don't get me wrong, we need to be around people who need our help, who we need to be a positive influence on. But often, we allow those people to be an influence upon us. And so we need to not only be an encouragement to those we are trying to positively influence, but we also need to make sure that we are being fed with positive influences from people who encourage us. Because you tend to become like those you hang around most. And so these are just a few of the things that get us off track. How do we get back on track? Number one, the choice within me. The choice within me. One of the greatest discoveries of life is when we realize that the prison bars that hold us back are not mostly out there, they are mostly in here, in here. I love the little story, Tracy's heard me tell it again and again, of the little frog who fell in a pothole in the middle of the road. And all of his friends gathered, out to, gathered around to try to help the little frog out of the pothole. And uh, so as, as they're trying to help him, they just can't. They are unsuccessful, and there he is stuck. And they said, well, we're going to go for help, and we'll bring you back some food. And so off they go to go and find help. And pretty soon they turn around and here they see the little frog hopping behind them. Wait for me, wait for me. And they said, what happened, friend? We thought you were stuck. We thought you could not get out of the pothole. And the frog says, that's what I thought too. But then I heard a truck coming. <laughs> and I found out that I could. <laughs> And sometimes we discover it's amazing what we can do when a truck is coming. And I wonder if sometimes God allows trucks to come into our lives to help us realize that there is an element of choice, that there are some positive things that I can do to help move in the right direction. 
And one of those is, number two, the influences around me. And so we've talked about that. What are the influences? What are the people who you hang around? What are they like? Do they encourage you to be more like Jesus? What TV shows do you watch? What movies do you watch? What stuff do you read online? What kind of junk are you feeding on? Because over the last few weeks, we've talked about the vending machine and how it tastes really good to eat junk food at first, but the more we eat, the less good we feel. Because when you feed on junk, you feel like junk. And the same is true in our lives. That whenever we are in those seasons when we are becoming spiritually and mentally unhealthy, listen, yes, There are so many things that we can do positively. And yes, sometimes we need the help of medication and and things that help in our our biochemical rhythms and our, our emotional balance. It's true. We do need those things sometimes. But we also need to evaluate what we are consuming in our daily lives, the influences around us. Because we cannot continually consume the things of this world and not expect to become like this world. And in case you didn't know this, the purpose of a Christian is not to be like the world. It's to be like Jesus. It's to be like Jesus. And so there is the choice within me, the influences around me, and the God above me. You see, listen, No matter how hard I try, I cannot do this on my own. All the positive thinking in this world is never enough. What I need is the healing and transformational power of Jesus Christ in my life. Would you stand with me? Let's stand together today.